Today we begin looking at the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is a wonderful book with great and rich truths that will stir our souls and help us. And we'll try and keep it short each day, but give you a thought, give you something from this little book that's going to bless your day and help you uh, walk closer to him. A couple of things about the book of uh, Colossians. Uh, <clears throat> it was written to a people that, as far as we know, Paul never visited. He never actually got to go to the Colossians. Epaphras, uh, the man who was with him and uh, wrote the letter with him, was the amanuensis in this letter. Uh, he's the one that told him about these Colossian people. So Paul had never been there. And the second thing is it's written to correct an error uh, that we're not really that is never really defined for us in the letter. And instead of defining the error, what Paul does is he declares the truth of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he declares it over and over again, so that there is no way uh, that, that the error can stand. In other words, he blasts it with the pure truth of the gospel and of the Savior as the Son of God, so that nobody uh, is left in any doubt. The error, in other words, is blown out of the water because of it. But Paul also talks about three virtues that are very important to our Christian faith. And we'll, we'll look at those in these first seven verses as we introduce it. And then we'll look at something that those three virtues are supposed to produce in our lives. Because Christianity was never intended to be an add-on to our lives. To be something that we just connected up to us and carried on living our old lives. Christianity was intended to change us and to send us in a different direction. Alright, so let me read you the first uh, few verses. Colossians chapter 1, if you're reading with us. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you, and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Right? That's the first virtue, your faith in Christ Jesus. These people were believers. They had come to the place where they had trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, where they had recognized their sin, recognized their need, and, 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 and come to that place where they put their trust and their faith in Him and they were saved. And that faith is the basic beginning, the starting point of any Christianity. If you've never come to the place where you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, where you recognize you're a sinner, where you've recognized there's a penalty for sin, but that Jesus Christ paid that price for you, and you've called upon him to do it, you really haven't started in any sense on your Christian life. That's the first step. You start by putting your faith and trust in him for salvation. If you need help with that, please contact us. Uh, you can contact us at lifegate.org. Uh, contact us. We would gladly help you making that step, but it's the most important step in life. But then faith doesn't end with salvation. Faith then becomes our lives. Uh, faith becomes the way we walk. We depend upon him. We've depended upon him for the greatest problem we ever had. He fixed that. And so when we come across the other problems in life, we're depending upon him too. Or we're putting our trust in him. We're, we're, we're putting our faith in him. Right? We're expecting that he is going to do us good because we've put our faith in him. All right, now let me give you the second virtue uh, that he brings up here. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints. Now, that faith gives us a common bond with a people that really we may not be connected with in any other way. 
Uh, it, it produces a bond that, in a sense, is, is, is stronger than the other bonds in our lives. There's a, there's a love bond. Now, the love the Bible talks about is not, you know, this soft, fuzzy feeling uh, that we so often mean when we talk about love. It's, it's, it's a commitment to this group of people that are your brethren, his children also, and you're going to do them good. You're going to live your life doing them good. You're going to do good by the brethren. You're 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 not going to be in the place you know where where you're where you're neglecting the brethren and you're turning away from them. You're going to do good. You're going to do good to all people, but you're going to do good particularly to the brethren, uh, because Jesus said this. He said, "By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another," and in a marvelous way, the gospel is shown to be powerful by the love we show to each other. So there's the love of the brethren. That's the, that's the second virtue that he talks about. And then he says in verse five, 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. Right. So the gospel, they put their trust in, uh, they've, they've put their trust in Jesus Christ, they've been saved, and now they have a hope of heaven. Now they know when they're finished in this world, they're going to heaven. These, these people that they've been drawn together with, that they love, uh, they're going to spend eternity with them. They have hope. So they have a long hope in the sense that when this life is over, they're going to spend eternity with him. And that's going to be one of the, uh, the, the main driving forces in their lives. It should be for all Christians, that hope that we have in him. But I want you to see one more thing. Uh, the result of this faith and love and hope, which has come unto you uh, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. And it's this idea of fruit. You see, the Christian life is a mighty powerful thing. When you and I got saved, the Spirit of God came in to indwell us. And His power is released in us to live a life that pleases God and to live a life that bears fruit for Him. Now we'll talk about it more as we go through these days. But I want to ask a question as we close. What's the fruit in your life? There should be fruit. What's the fruit in your life? I have four fruit trees, okay? Um, I have one apple tree that bears copious amounts of apples. I have one apple tree that bears three or four apples every year. I have a plum tree that grows wonderful fruit. And I have one poor little pear tree that's only ever born one piece of wizened up fruit in its life. There's supposed to be fruit in the life of a believer. What's the fruit in your life? You say, I don't know. You need to talk to God about that today. Because there's supposed to be fruit. There's supposed to be a change. God has put his mighty spirit in you and there's supposed to be a fruit that changes everything in your life. Don't get, you know, don't, don't feel defeated if you don't see it. You ask God what's wrong. What do I need to do? If we can help you, we'd gladly help you too. But there ought to be fruit in your life. Some will bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, but everybody bears fruit. 
So where's the fruit in your life? May Lord bless you today and keep you safe during these strange days.